We are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Royal Grammar School on Guildford High Street, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Okay, great. Um, morning everyone, yeah, I'm Sam. If you don't know who I am or I've seen my face and I've never chatted with me before, um, in my day job, I work as an analyst for the Department for Work and Pensions, um, and I'm married to Emma, um, and yeah, been part of the church for coming on four years. Um, I was meant to actually speak in this series in November time, um, and you may remember that Chris had to step in at the very, very last minute because my brother was taken uh, ill. Uh, he um, contracted a very serious and very rare condition, um, and. He's recovered now, uh, fully recovered, and I wanted to get the chance to thank uh, you all. Uh, James wants to say thank you as well, as do my parents. Um, many people don't recover from the condition which he had, so we are extremely thankful for every one of you um, who prayed for, for us uh, going through that time. It was really difficult, uh, but obviously for James as well, so, so thank you. Um, we're in Mark still today, chapter 14. If you haven't got a Bible, uh, Chuck your hand up and someone will come around and give you one. If you don't actually open a Bible, then you can keep that Bible. Um, yes, we're in Mark 14. Um, if you do have a Bible, I, can I please encourage you to uh, keep it open throughout the time that I'm speaking? We'll be going into it uh, quite a lot throughout, um, or keep it up on your phone, whatever device you want to use. Um, so, let me pray and then um, I will read for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for your word. Thank you for the time we have now to, to look at it. I pray, Lord God, that you help us understand it <coughs> by your spirit and that you would change our hearts as a result. Amen. So we're in verses uh, 12 to 25. Um, so I, I will read it. So here we go. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at table, uh, reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Don't forget to turn your clocks forward. That's what we were, many of us were thinking last weekend. 
Remember to do your taxes. We've just come to the end of the financial year, a new one. People here may have been coming to sort their taxes out. We still remind us, don't we, in our work calendars or our personal calendars. Remember, it's your anniversary next weekend. Remember Remembrance Sunday and the sacrifices people gave. Remember that lesson you learned last year or a few years ago. I don't want to repeat those mistakes because that hurt us or hurt someone else. We remember, don't we, and we need to be reminded to not forget about things all the time. We always need reminders. And we remember, don't we, to kick us into action. We don't just remember to acknowledge things. We don't just go, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember to bring my mask. And then don't bring the mask and you go out to the shops. You remember to kick yourself into action. And these verses we just read talk about remembrance. They talk about two acts of remembrance. Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and also Jesus instituting a new act of remembrance called Communion. I wonder what you thought when you saw the capsules on your chair this morning. Did we do this last week? Maybe you think that. Maybe you thought, get in, communion. Or maybe you thought, ah, communion. Well, by the end of what I share, I do hope that you will see why these words we've just read and communion is so important and actually critical to remember as an act. So we're going to do four things. The first thing we're going to do is we're just going to go through the verses uh, again in a little bit more detail. And then I'm going to dwell on the last number of verses around communion and try to tease out three things. So, firstly, verse 12, right at the beginning of it, uh, sets the context. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread. So this festival lasts seven days. Uh, it's also the festival of Passover. Um, and on the first day of the Passover festival, what does it say there? It says it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb. Now many of us here today may well know what Passover is, some of you might not, so I'll try to give a very brief history of what Passover is. Um, so right at the, near the beginning of the Old Testament, in the second book of the Bible, God's people, the nation of Israel, were all under the rule of Egypt and were slaves. They were subject, subjected to slavery for about 400 years, um, and God wanted to release them. He wanted to set his people free from slavery. And so what happened was, over the course of nine plagues, God warned Pharaoh and the people of Egypt, saying, let my people go. I want my people to be set free. But Pharaoh, time and time again, said, no, 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 or made a promise, then broke a promise. And so it culminates in the tenth and final plague, which God promises, which was the death of the firstborn in each household. God was to bring judgment on the nation of Egypt. But he gave a way out for people to be saved, so they didn't have to face that judgment. And what they needed to do was they needed to sacrifice a lamb, they needed to kill it, and then they needed to spread the blood of the lamb they just killed over the doorposts um, of their homes, so that their homes would be covered with the blood of the lamb. So when God's judgment came to the land, his judgment would pass over all the houses which were covered with the blood of the lamb. So a sacrifice needed to be made, the lamb was killed, and then you put the blood on your house, and then God's judgment would pass over you, and you wouldn't have to face death. That then happened, um, the people of Israel were saved, they didn't have to face death, and 
and Pharaoh says, oh, enough is enough, you can go. And the nation of Israel were freed and were set free and they were not slaves anymore. But they hadn't even a rush, and they didn't have enough time to bake their bread properly. So there's no yeast for them to put in their bread. Hence why, unleavened bread. That was why it's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, because they didn't have enough time to bake their bread properly, so there's no yeast in the bread. So that's the history of Passover. So we come here to the Festival of Unleavened Bread. And interestingly, the, the disciples asked a question at the end, well, where do you want us to make the Passover, Jesus? That's always interesting me as a question. Well, surely you can just do the Passover wherever you like. Surely it doesn't matter. But actually, no. Verse 13, Jesus says to them, you're to go into the city. And he tells them that because the scriptures in Deuteronomy detail that when you have the Passover, you, you should not have it in your own towns, but you should go into the city where God dwells. And at that time was Jerusalem. So Jerusalem was full of people. They've all got to come into Jerusalem to have the Passover. Now this is really, really risky for Jesus because we know that he is a condemned man. We know that the Pharisees and the religious leaders are wanting to kill him. So this is a really, really risky move by Jesus to go back into the city. But he has to do it and he wants to do it. Um, because that is what the scriptures say. You also have to go and stay in someone's home near the temple, which is where you sacrifice the lamb. So loads and loads of people are trying to get into different people's homes around the temple so you can sacrifice the lamb at the temple, bring it home to this, this home which you are a guest at, and then have the meal. Then we have this other strange thing which Jesus says. Go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water, um, you'll meet him and you should follow him. Again, the next question I had then was, well, if there's loads of people in this city, how are they going to be able to find this supposed man carrying a jar of water? Surely not everyone's going to be carrying water. But actually, I found out whilst preparing for this, is that uh, that would actually be a really, really rare sight to see a man carrying a jar of water. So at that time, that was mostly for, for, for women to do. So the women would carry jars of water. So if you actually saw a man carrying a jar of water, that would be really easy to identify him. And it needed to be done in secret, as I said, because Jesus was a wanted man. So he didn't want his disciples going around loads of people's homes, knocking on their doors, saying, Ah, oh, Jesus needs to have his passport here. Do you have room? No, 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 it wouldn't work. He didn't want to be noticed at this point. So it had to be arranged in secret. There is a go to a guest room, as it says there in verse 14. And then in verse 15, he says, You need to go and make preparations for the Passover meal. The Passover meal was not just a lamb which was killed, there was loads of different elements to the meal. So you'd have herbs, you'd have horseradish, you'd have an egg, you'd have four different cups of wine, each representing different parts of the story of the Passover. So there was lots of preparation to do. What happens next? Well, verse 16 tells us that the disciples left, they went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. Now it's not clear in this story or in, in the uh, other stories in Matthew and Luke whether this was kind of pre-planned by Jesus, or whether it was a miraculous provision. So we're not sure whether the disciples kind of walked into Jerusalem, saw the man with the jar, and were like, are you the man? And he's like, yeah, I'm the man. We don't know if that's the case. It could be that, it could be a miraculous provision. Either way, they get there, it's exactly as, as Jesus said would happen. And then we come to evening, which is uh, verse 17. Click on it in a second, Jesse. Thank you. Um, so evening comes basically. It's important to know that 
they had to celebrate, so you have to eat the Passover um, when evening comes. Because again, as is described in the scriptures, you have to eat the Passover at the time when the people of Israel left Egypt, which was in the evening. So they had to wait until the sun goes down. And also at that time, that's when the new day begins. So for us, our new day begins at midnight. Back then, new day began when the sun went down. So the sun goes down, new day begins, the second day of the, of the seven day feast. And this is also the day when Jesus will die in the afternoon. So they eat the Passover in the evening. And verse 18 then says, While they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus then declares that someone will betray him. Betrayal of anyone is horrific. Um, betraying someone to death is seen as kind of the ultimate betrayal. But almost the ultimate, ultimate betrayal is betraying someone to death just after you've had a meal with them. That was kind of the ultimate level of treason. The meal is intimate, it's personal. They're reclining at the table, and Jesus says, someone will betray you. They question him, don't they, in verse 19, if you look down. They're like, surely it can't be me. And then we come to verse 20, which says, it is one of the twelve, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. Again, this verse always used to confuse me as well. So I read the verse, and I assume that Jesus just shares the bowl with one other person. So I'm thinking when he says, oh, well, it's the person who's sharing, who I'm sharing the bowl with, they'd be like, ah, aha, it's Judas, you're sharing the bowl with him. That's not how it works. So there's one bowl for the entire meal, so everyone shares out the same bowl. So they dip the bread and they dip their meat into the bowl. And so what Jesus is saying here is, it's not revealing anyone, it's reaffirming the fact that is someone here, but he doesn't say who. And then we come to the verses surrounding communion. Uh, and I'm going to spend a bit of time dwelling on these verses, bringing out three things. Um, because this is Jesus instituting a new act of remembrance. But before we get there, you may first ask the question, well, why does Jesus institute communion before he actually does the thing communion's about? So communion, as we'll see, represents Jesus' death. But why does he institute it before he dies? Surely after he rose from the dead, he would say, right, now I've done the thing, remember the thing, whenever you have bread and wine. But actually, Jesus is really, really deliberate. He's really deliberate in instituting it before it happens. Because if you look back at when the Passover first happened, if you read all the way back in Exodus 12, God tells them to observe the Passover before he does it. It's really interesting. So before the Passover even happens, God says, hey, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to save you. And you need to remember it. And then he goes and does it. And Jesus does exactly the same thing. It's not a coincidence that Jesus institutes this act of remembrance before he goes to die for us. I think that's really cool. Um, three things I want to pull out then, and I'll try to be reasonably brief are these three things. Jesus is the true Passover lamb. Uh, this is the beginning of the new covenant. And as mentioned, this is the new act of remembrance communion. In Luke's Gospel, uh, Jesus says he earnestly desired to have this meal with the disciples. He wants to do that for three reasons. One, as is evident, this meal is really important. Passover is obviously really, really important. 
Um, but Jesus was now about to become the true Passover lamb who would be sacrificed for all people. The Passover, you each had to sacrifice your lamb, you had to do it all the time. The sacrificial system in the whole of the Old Testament was you have to sacrifice animals continuously, 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 because we're always falling short of God, we're always sinning. But Jesus' death becomes a once and for all fulfillment of the Passover. He is the true Passover lamb. So just as the lambs were sacrificed to free and save the people of Israel, so too does Jesus' death save us. See, Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that his body and blood would richly kind of symbolise Passover. His body, like a lamb, was to be slain, and his blood was to be spilled. We often sing, don't we, worthy, worthy is the lamb who was slain. And that's why we sing it. Jesus sacrifices himself on that very day, later in the afternoon, so that we would not have to face God's judgment, so that God's judgment would pass over us. He is the true representation of the Passover lamb. It is not a coincidence that Jesus dies on Passover. It is not a coincidence that Jesus dies on Passover. And so in the same way that the lamb at Passover was killed and blood was put over your wooden doorpost for your home, Jesus will be killed and his blood spilled on the wooden cross. It's too much of a coincidence to say, ah, well, it's just chance, it's just luck that uh, Jesus died this way. No, he died specifically on Passover to show the people that he is the true Passover lamb. The second thing going on here um, is this bread and wine meal which Jesus instigates is the beginning of the new covenant. In the version which we read, he gives them the cup of wine and says, this is the covenant. But in most other versions or translations, this is the new covenant. This is a really, 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 really significant moment in kind of human history. The Old Testament, in other words, the, testament, the Old uh, Covenant, sorry, um, Covenant means testament, so when you, we read our Bible, it says the Old Testament and the New Testament. Another way of thinking about it is the Old Covenant, so the books of the Old Covenant, and then the books of the New Covenant. Jesus is saying, well, this is the New Covenant. What his death will achieve is, will result in the New Covenant. So in the Old Covenant, it was all about, if you do this, then God will bless you. If you don't do this, then God will do this. You continually have to sacrifice. You continually have to follow the rules and the law. If you've ever started to read the Bible from front, from front to end, I wonder how many of us get to the books of the law and think, gosh, this is tough, isn't it? Flip, this is really, really difficult. And that's the whole point. Like, it's really, really difficult. We can't observe the whole law. That's the whole point. You have to observe all these things, um, but because you can't do that, you have to sacrifice all these animals all the time. The Holy Spirit is limited for individuals at specific times, and access to God was through a priest. That's the old covenant. But Jesus is saying here, boom, we're in the new covenant now. Because of his death, it means that Jesus has done it all. His sacrifice is once and for all. We don't need to keep re-sacrificing Jesus. His death is once and for all. Got a funny story about last time I took communion at my parents' church. We were sat um, and um, they were giving out wafers at the front for the bread. 
And um, it was quite clear that they didn't have enough wafers for the number of people who were at the service. And we had a girl sitting behind us who was getting quite upset and nervous about this. She whispered to her parents, Mom, Dad, they're going to run out of Jesus. And she was like, she was devastated that we ran out of Jesus. And it's a perfect example for a, for a sermon because I can say, no, 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 Jesus never runs out. Jesus never runs out. His sacrifice is once and for all. We don't need to keep reacting, really sacrificing him. We now have direct access to God. The law, as opposed to written on word, is now written on our hearts. The Holy Spirit was outpoured on all people. When you put your trust in him, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. This is the new covenant. That very day when Jesus is crucified on the cross, the new covenant begins. The curtain is torn in two. We are saved and we have complete access to him. It is incredible. It's amazing. It's history-defining. And it is life transforming, but this is the new covenant. The old has gone, the new has come. Praise God. And then lastly, this bread and wine meal becomes a new remembrance to remind us of Jesus' death. In Luke's Gospel and in 1 Corinthians, it talks of how Jesus said within this meal, he gives them the bread and then he gives them the wine and says, do this in remembrance of me. You might be sitting there and thinking, I certainly have a number of times when I've done communion. They've been sitting there thinking, why do I need to remember? Why do I need to do communion to remember? And actually, the Bible gives countless examples of why remembrance is really, really important. So again, in the book of Deuteronomy, whenever it was written, whenever... Uh, Passover or other feasts or festivals or times they had to remember, remember the Lord, it says you remember so that you will become obedient. That's the idea. Remembrance leads to obedience. There's, I mean, there's so many examples within the books of the law. It's it's silly, really. God is really trying to hammer home the point. You don't just remember to be like, oh, yeah, that was a good time, Passover. Similarly, we, can I encourage us not to come to communion and think, oh, yeah, we do this because it's Jesus' death. The whole point of remembrance is for it to lead to our hearts to change, to seek to become <clears throat> obedient to the Lord. You see, when we remember what he has done for us, that kind of leads us into action. It leads our hearts to change. As we dwell on Jesus and what he has done for us, our hearts will inevitably change if we really dwell on what he has done for us. And we therefore, you know, we want to follow him more because we become so won over by his love and by his grace. We want to follow him more. And so when we're confronted with what he has done for us, when we come to communion, it will change our hearts. And we need reminding, don't we? We're, we're so forgetful, we're so fickle as humans. Our hearts and lives often get distracted by so many other things. We get distracted about what we've got to do at work tomorrow. We get distracted about um, concerns within the family and within friends. And it's not to dismiss any of those things, but it is to say we so easily forget, don't we? It's also why maybe you come to church every Sunday, and after church you think, gosh, that was a good reminder, wasn't it? And then we, you, we all repeat that cycle, don't we? We come the next time and go, God, yeah, that was clear, wasn't it? Brilliant. And 
But we, we can get so overawed, can't we, by everything else going on in our lives. It's one of the reasons why the, the Anglican Church have a kind of is written into their law that communion should take place at least once a week in every parish church. Though we might think, oh, that's a bit legalistic. And you could read it like that. But actually, I think that's a really good thing. I think that's a really positive thing. That there's a consistent time for people to reflect on the real core of what we're doing. So can I encourage us to, to really reflect on what communion is? You know, communion is a beautifully practical act of remembering the core of what we believe. And it's designed to remind us and to change us. And so my question to you would be, what would kind of be the point of communion then if it was just an acknowledgement that led to kind of like no action or like genuine thought or genuine heart change? Can I encourage you to really, and I say this certainly to myself as much as everyone else here, can I encourage us all when we come to communion, not just today, but kind of any time, to really think, what is this? What, what does this mean? Can I encourage us not to treat communion as a chore or kind of as an acknowledgement, but rather as an active remembrance to kind of warm our hearts to Christ's sacrifice for us? Communion is designed to be a tremendously personal, intimate, and powerful moment between you and God. That's what it's designed for. It's not. It's where you can do business with God and thank Him and reflect on what He has done for you and for me. So when we come to communion, we can say that Jesus is the true Passover lamb. We can say that this is the beginning of the new covenant. And we, boy, we're going to celebrate that in two weeks' time when the promise of His death and resurrection is fulfilled. And we get to celebrate that on Easter Sunday. And this is the new act of remembrance. Although it's great to look back at Passover, and we can still look at that ourselves, even though many, maybe all of us in here are not kind of ethnically Jewish. It's still good to look back at the Passover and think, gosh, our God is a redeeming God. He's a saving God. And there's great value in that. But actually, we don't, we don't need to, to do that anymore. God kind of instills the new, the new act of remembrance <coughs> of communion, kind of the greater, the, the greatest act of salvation ever seen was not done in Egypt, the greatest act of salvation ever seen was done on Calvary over Easter weekend. That's the greatest act of remembrance, and that's why we seek to remember it during communion. Uh, I'm going to just ask the band to, to, to come back up. They're going to lead us in a song before we um, actually take communion, which Chris is going to lead us in. Um, but before they start playing, um, I'm just going to give us a little bit of space to, to, to think and reflect on on the core of communion, on Jesus' death, what that means for us. As I said, we celebrate this in two weeks' time, but we can we can celebrate and think about it now, can't we? Um, so why don't we just each take a moment now in a part of our hearts to, to thank the Lord for what communion means for you. Let's do that now.
Thanks for listening. We meet on Sundays at 10am at the Royal Grammar School in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.